Hey friends, it's Mark James. It's Wednesday. It is the 3rd of November 2021 and here we are again for another Hey Friends podcast. I'm just getting comfortable. I'm in uh, Joshua's room. You'll be thrilled to hear because that always is the best place to sit for podcasting. I've waited till a little bit later in the afternoon until 12 because... um, I didn't want to be interrupted by deliveries constantly like I was before. And there have been a couple of deliveries today and the, you know, the postman's knocking and then DPS. That's not right. DHS. No, that ain't right either. DHL. DHL. (laughs) Then they knocked and, you know, there's just always people knocking, isn't there, who want to come in and either they want to give you a parcel or they want your money. And I don't want either of those people knocking at the door while I'm trying to record the podcast. So interruptions are put aside and I've already drank my cup of tea. I'm, I drank a cup of tea again out of the giant mug. Now I would have, um, I would have saved the tea for when I was recording the podcast. Obviously, that's what I normally do. But I ended up sitting in this chair looking at Amazon and some other stuff because I've been trying to find something for the new show, which I'll tell you about in a sec. So let's come back around to my purchase. What have I bought? I bet. If all of you try and guess what you think I've bought right now for the new show, you won't get it. You'll never guess in a million years. So don't worry about it. Even Sarah, who I know is going to be listening to this, she won't know because I haven't told her this. Maybe I have told her this idea and I don't remember. I don't know. I've told her most things. Most of the time I tell her something and I think she's going to love hearing about this. And at the end, she'll let me talk for a minute and she'll go, "Is that was that it? And I'll go, yeah. And she'll go... You told me that yesterday. <laughs> I never remember. It's funny because I have a go at my own mother for that. My mum tells me stuff. Every time I talk to her, she tells me the same story she told me the last three days in a row. I do call my mother a lot. I'm a good son for that. Um, that's what She says that. She says, you're a good son. You do keep in touch with your mother. I do ring her a lot. Um, that's funny, actually, because I found myself missing my dad in the last few days. Obviously, my dad died a few years ago. And every now and again, I'll be driving to or from a gig and I'll look at my, you know, the your favourites list on your phone because I make a lot of phone calls while I'm driving. I just want to say, by the way, that obviously I'm using hands free and I'm not, um, you know, not, what's it called, playing with my phone while I'm driving. Or certainly not in a way that I'd admit to on a podcast. <laughs> but anyway, so my phone is on a, a cradle which is next to the steering wheel and of course you've got your favorites list of people that you might want to dial and my dad used to be in there you know my home number was in there now it says mum and it's my mum's mobile that's in the favorites but it used to say home and whenever I would dial home usually my mum would answer and I would go hi mum she'd go you're right and I'd go yeah not bad just driving to a gig and she'll go all right I'll put your dad on and then she put my dad on and I would speak to my dad for you know half an hour an hour sometimes depending on when we got on each other's nerves (laughs) because I really love my dad but eventually we'd get on each other's tits that's just the way that fathers and sons are, I guess. It was a nightmare when we lived together. When I actually lived at home with my parents, me and my dad used to, oh, we'd rage sometimes. I never would rage, but we'd fall out, you know, we'd bicker. And of course, my dad was my dad. He was the man of the house, so I had to acquiesce to whatever he said. But we didn't we didn't rub along that well necessarily at times until once my mum said, why are you a dick to your dad all the time? And I said, I don't know. I didn't really realise I was. And then I worked it out that, you know... 
My dad had a strong personality. I had an emerging strong personality. I feel that relationship with Joshua sometimes now. You know, I'm sort of maybe a bit overreaching, maybe a bit um, full on. And he's got his personality emerging. And the sort of, you know, we sometimes bump up against each other for that reason in the same way as I did with my dad. And once I stopped living with my dad we got on like a house on fire. You know, as soon as we could just talk on the phone and then whenever we started getting on each other's nerves, I could go, right, I've got to go. Or, you know, someone's ringing me, I'll call you back and then, you know, not call back. He was never bothered. Or, you know, he could go. It's an easy bailout on the phone, isn't it? And so we chat quite frequently for an hour and then, all right, Dad, I'm going to go. I'll catch you later. And the decisions you both were making didn't necessarily affect each other as directly. So it's easy not to get annoyed about it. You could just, you know, give more impartial advice or whatever, or he could do that. And I don't know. One thing I'm determined to do is not... Like Joshua and I have got a really good relationship and we really love each other. And we do rub against each other sometimes with regards to, you know, we'll have little silly bickering or fighting or we'll get annoyed with each other. But one thing I've always been determined about that I've learned from my dad is that I don't want it. I don't want him to need to wait until he's moved out for us to be best friends, you know, and that was what happened with my dad. It took until I didn't live with him anymore for us to really understand our friendship beyond us being father and son. And with Joshua, I want to be able to have that always from now. And so I suppose... This week, for for whatever reason, I found myself missing my dad. Maybe I feel like I'm a bit of a crossroads in life where I need a bit of guidance or, you know, something. I guess we'll come back to that a little bit later on when I talk about maybe re-understanding what I think depression means. But, yeah, I just found myself this week missing my dad. A couple of days ago, I, you know, was going to make a phone call and I thought, I'll ring my dad. And it hasn't happened for ages since he passed. But I suddenly thought, I'll ring my dad. And then I realised I couldn't. And then I felt sad about it quite a bit. You know, it, it's funny when when a parent's been gone for a few years, maybe other people are different, but I don't think about it every day. I would imagine a whole week could go by when I don't consider my father at all. But then something, or at least not in a meaningful way, and then something will pop into your head and you'll think, oh, I'll and then you realise you can't and it's pretty devastating. So it's a strange thing that, isn't it, loss? I'm not really a huge one for getting bummed out about death and I feel like I handle it reasonably well. But after all these years, suddenly I'll call my dad and then can't do it. Weird, eh? So before I move on to happier things, because I do want to, I'm just going to cover this depression thing now. I wonder if depression doesn't mean what I've always thought it meant. I've always thought about depression as being people... I'm certain that I've had depression at times, but I'm also very quick to write other people off when they say they're depressed. I'm like a lot of us, someone goes, I've got depression. And your first instinct is always, oh, fuck off, just get on with it. And it's mean, isn't it? It's mean spirited and it's writing people off. Sometimes when someone, you know, just says, oh, I think I've got depression. You think, no, you haven't. You're just lazy or you can't be bothered or whatever. And then it touches you personally. You feel like you've got depression and you realize that actually there's such a lack of empathy around depression that exists in society that 
people are not willing to really listen to you or believe that you've got it and then you feel invalidated and that makes depression worse. But what I want to say is I don't think the depression is necessarily always feeling sad. You know, we say, don't I feel a bit depressed? And what that literally means, depressed, pushed down, like you are being pressed down by something and it's it's limiting and it it but actually what i think it is is it's not always active depression it's inactive joy it's that your ability to feel joy has become inactive as opposed to everything else being fit you know instead of being actively depressed you're inactively joyful <laughs> it's basically a glass half full analogy isn't it but i realized yesterday i got in the hot tub and I was sitting there and I was there for two hours in the hot tub and I couldn't be bothered to do anything. And I knew I wanted to clean the house and I wanted to hoover and stuff. And I was thinking, oh, I'll put some music on and I'll hoover, but I couldn't be bothered. I had no motivation to do jobs, which is unlike me. But I also didn't even want to listen to music that I loved. I just felt like I can't be asked listening to this music that even though I like it, I don't want to hear it. And then a friend tried to call me a couple of hours later and I didn't answer the phone because I couldn't be bothered to talk to anybody. And my usual joy was inactive. And I didn't feel actively depressed. I just felt like my joy was inactive. And I wonder if sometimes depression can present itself in that way. So I'm not saying that I'm clinically depressed. I'm just saying that I have a bit more empathy for people who are because over the last month, maybe, I've felt like I've lacked a little bit of zest, a little bit of joie de vivre, a little bit of, you know, just get up and go for life. And Sarah's felt like that a little bit as well. We both have. And Joshua's been a bit up and down. And I feel like as a household, we've not really bounced off each other for a few weeks in the same way. And that's because we've all been stressed about different things you know, we've all had different stuff on our plates. And Sarah and I made a decision the last couple of days that we need to really turn it around. And I think we're going to do that. We're going to be positive. So there we go. As I hit the 10 minute mark on this podcast, um, I just want to say I am starting to get to grips with who I am and what's going on and what the problems are uh, that I've been facing recently and why I haven't been able to get on with stuff. So that brings us on to weight loss. I've lost nothing. I've put another few pounds on. I'm basically back where I started. What a load of shit. Never mind. Always tomorrow, isn't there? <laughs> so at the beginning of podcasts, I always talk about weight goals and progress. And so that's progress. That's emotional progress. That's where I am on weight goals. The only other thing to quickly tell you about is what I'm working on to do with my show. And I'm really starting, this is going to be quick, by the way, because I've got loads of other stuff to talk about. Um, I'm really starting to get to grips with what I want the new show to be and what my understanding is of the story that I want to tell. And my show writing is coming from a different angle now than it used to. It's funny, I was talking to my friend Taylor last night about this, and he's getting on this same train as well, in that I used to find a trick, and then I would think of what I wanted to say using that trick. Now, I come at it from the angle of, I'm trying to work out what story I want to tell across the whole show, 
And then I try to find smaller stories that back up that bigger idea. And then once I've got that bigger idea and those smaller stories, then I try to find tricks that will help me tell those stories. And I think that's a very different way of coming up with material than I used to, because I used to just search magic catalogs for tricks I thought were cool. And my act was like a jumble sale of different magic effects. And over the years, it's gotten more towards trying to tell a very specific story. So with that in mind, I posted on Instagram the other day, you might have seen a thing where I wrote about how every trick when I'm coming up with what what the trick is going to be usually starts as a single image in my head. So the Rubik's Cube trick that I'm doing, when I thought about that trick, I saw myself standing next to a volunteer and them having a surprised face and me showing them the thing that they'd done. And that exists now as an actual photograph. But before the routine existed, which was heavily inspired by my friend Taylor's work again, but before the routine existed, um, that photograph existed in my head. And now that photograph exists in real life. That routine is a realization of a photographic idea. And with the cup and ball trick that I do, I imagine myself wearing a fez, standing in front of that banner, the black and white banner that I use, and doing the trick. And... That's what I wanted it to look like. And now a photograph of that exists, which is, again, a physical manifestation of what was once a photographic idea. And the same is true of loads of tricks in my show. The um, handkerchief and the egg trick, that was supposed to be a YouTube video and a video, uh, you know, with a YouTube symbol next to me and all of that stuff. And that now exists as a physical manifestation of a once photographic idea. I'm not going to keep drilling that point because I'm sure you understand it. If the glove does not fit, you must acquit. (laughs) But yeah, so that's how I think of magic. I think of it in terms of photographs. And then I thought, well, what if I let the narrative of the next show be driven by that truth? So if I find a way to tell the audience, an interesting way to tell the audience that when I imagine new pieces of magic, I think about them in terms of photographs and I find photographs inspiring. It's funny, actually, I remember years ago, I read the REM biography about Michael Stipe and it talked about how Michael Stipe was obsessed with photographs and about how much time was captured in a photograph. And I was enamored by that idea. And then years later, I got into photography and I, and I then learned that the amount of time captured in a photograph is a fundamental cornerstone of photography itself. You know, you set, whether it's a 50th of a second, an eighth of a second, a quarter of a second, whether it's five seconds, you know, in a long exposure photograph, you set how much time is going to be captured in the photograph. And that affects the image. The more time a photograph is captured over, the more light is able to get into the lens. And therefore, the lighter, clearer, better the photograph is going to be. Whereas if the subjects in your photographs are moving and you're taking photographs of footballers or sporting events or things like that, then the shutter needs to be open to capture the photograph for a very, very, very short amount of time so that the picture is not blurry. Because if you capture a 50th of a second of a moving object, that picture is going to appear still. Whereas if it's a moving object and you capture two seconds worth of that object, that within that photograph, the subject will have been in and out of the frame. And so you're just going to get a blurry mess. And so... There are all sorts of different things you need to do to make your photograph work. Anyway, 
I now understand that the amount of time captured in a photograph is a fundamental part of photography. But apparently Michael Stipe didn't understand that because he was obsessed with it. And I thought that was interesting as well. So I've always been obsessed with photographs since that time. And I've been thinking recently about the last person that I get on stage for my show. It's for the Rubik's Cube trick. And I don't physically give them anything. You know, I don't give them anything as a thank you for joining in the show. The person who helps with the card rising trick, they get that picture. When I tear that picture off the pad of the card having risen out of the pad, they get to keep that signed little bit of artwork, you know, that I've drawn. <laughs> I use that tone for the magicians and um, I sign it and I give it to them. But the person who physically comes on stage and helps me for the longest time, they don't get anything. And so I was thinking, how can I tie these disparate ideas together? How can I make my show be about the fact that I think of it in terms of photographs and snapshots? And what can I give the person at the end of the show? And what will also fit my vintage theme aesthetic? Because all of my shows come from a very, you know, purposely anachronistic standpoint. Anachronistic means, for those who don't know when you are purposefully in another time. So you are anachronistic if you are wearing clothes from the 1920s. That is an anachronistic thing to do. So how can I... My show is purposefully anachronistic always. And I thought, it's obvious, isn't it? A Polaroid camera. If I get that person on stage and at the end of our experience together, I take a Polaroid photograph of the two of us, which prints out in front of them and then I stand and I shake it and then I give it to them as a memento of our time together and I sign that little space at the bottom of the photograph uh, the photograph to them and date it then they have a unique something that was created as part of the show and like the time we spend together on stage it will continue to develop and change and it will always be unique and that's a lovely idea and it's a nice part of the show and I love the idea of me taking a photograph with usually this person is a kid I love the idea that I take a photograph with this kid but it's a Polaroid so when it prints out and I give it to them everybody knows that I don't have that photograph I'm not taking a photograph of me with the kid that's implicit but I get to give them this photograph and there's only one of it that exists and it can't exist anywhere else it's a singular it's a it's a moment captured of an individually unique time that only they got to experience and that photograph is a one-off and it's and it's the perfect gift because it gets made but it's not like hey i made this so here's a copy for you it's like hey we made this and now you're you are the only one who gets to have it. there's something about that that intrinsically i really like Anyway, so I looked up, I've researched every Polaroid camera that there is. Thankfully, Polaroids still make. Actually, it's a different company. The original Polaroid company no longer make the film that they made. So they've been reverse engineering from old Polaroid stock how to get the correct chemical to make those photograph developing things work. A new company that are part of Polaroid, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, so they make some modern cameras. They make the Polaroid Go, which is, makes very small photographs. They make the Polaroid Now. <clears throat> they make the Polaroid Now Plus. They make the Polaroid 600. And they make the Polaroid ZX1. 
Now, the ZX-1 camera is a big beastly camera that's a lot like a DSLR where it can do loads of different settings. They're like four and five hundred pounds. They make the Polaroid 600, which uses more expensive film and is a manual camera that's got all these different things. They make the Polaroid Go, which, as I said, prints small pictures. And then in the middle of all of those, you've got a Polaroid camera, which costs £95 for the camera, and then it costs £60 for 40 shots for a five pack of um these what's it called these things and um no hang on oh yeah so sorry it's 60 it's 12 pounds for eight shots but you can buy a five pack for 60 quid and for your 60 quid you then get 40 shots that's right so it's going to cost me basically £1.50 per time I do this, uh, which I think is okay. £1.50, you know, in a whatever you get paid for the show to give this kid a really nice memento. Because um, I was going to give them a Rubik's Cube in a jar. <laughs> and then I started thinking, fuck that. Sarah's going to have to make all of these things, cause, and that's a nightmare. It's going to cost me a fortune in jars and Rubik's Cubes, but I did like the idea. But I think that the, the Polaroid is much better because um, it's £1.50. Anyway... So there's the two Polaroid Now cameras. One of them is the Plus and one of them is the Regular. Now, they both have autofocus, which is ideal if you're taking a selfie with the Polaroid because obviously you can't see yourself on it when you take it. Um, but the Polaroid Now Plus connects to your phone. You can do double exposures on it. You can do Bluetooth, all of that sort of stuff. It's a little bit more expensive, but it is surplus to my requirements. I do not need it. So anyway, I've bought the Polaroid Now, not the Plus version, just the Polaroid Now. And they do it in different colors. So the main color is white, but they also do the, the other colors that are around it are um, blue, red, yellow, green, whatever. But there's also one which is orange and it's the exact same orange as my painted stools. Oh, have we come full circle? So anyway, I've bought a Polaroid camera, which has got orange on the body and white. It's going to look perfect in my show and it's going to be the perfect way to be the sort of pinpoint of what this show is all about. And I'm going to make the Polaroid camera part of the poster. And it's I need to think of a name that is something to do with photography and magic and how pictures are part of the motivation for the show. So that's where I'm at on the work so far uh, on this new show. I've got a few of the tricks in my head already. I know what they're going to look like. I know what they're going to be. I've got... Um, this is now the linchpin of it. I don't know if linchpin is the right word, but that is kind of, that's the, that's the hymn sheet that I'm singing from. I hope that all makes sense. So there we are. That's what's going on in the show. Full explanation. Let's move on to everything else that has been going on and happening in the world this week. Um, weight update and goals. Um, done that. Awful bacon sandwich. Last week I made a bacon sandwich. I made the bacon in the air fryer, so the bacon was perfect, but I wanted to have a little bit of crunch in the sandwich, so I put some crisps, or as our American friends say, chips, into the sandwich. I also put some squirty burger cheese. There's this primula cheese, which is like a paste, and it does have a bit of a Big Mac burger taste to it. It's very, very nice. Um... I put some of that in on my bacon sandwich because I thought bacon and cheese is a good combo, like ham and cheese. But the crisps were a very, very, very bad idea because the hot bacon made the crisps go soggy. And so I wanted a bit of crunch in this sandwich, 
But actually, I got the opposite because there is nothing in this world that is less crunchy than a wet crisp. Crisps are weird, aren't they? They're one or the other. They're in or they're out. They're either crispy, delicious, even though I don't like crisps that much. I do like them in a sandwich. Uh, They're either crispy or they're horrible. And they were wet and spongy and weird. And it ruined my sandwich. So the quest for flavour became a quest for failure. And I did not like it. So that wasn't good. Anyway, that was last Wednesday after I did the podcast. Now, that Wednesday was an interesting day because I think that morning I'd already done my Indian virtual show and then I did the podcast and then I did a murder mystery in the afternoon, but the host was brand new and I don't think that they really knew what they were doing all that well. So what happened at the end was I never read the script, right? Because my part in the murder mystery is always just 10 minutes. I do a 10 minute magic spot and then I go. So I never read the script because the scripts are always like, um, you know, at the moment, well, at least in October, they were like Transylvanian thing or, you know, various different stuff. Whereas usually they are A Night in Paris, uh, movie stars on board an airplane, yada, yada, yada. These murder mysteries happen. And my the script doesn't make any difference to me at all. But I do have to give a clue. But because I've never read the script, I don't know what the clue needs to be. But I can make the clue up. As long as the host hears it, they can, you know, work it into their end script because it doesn't change how the murder mystery works at all. So I always at the end of the show say, well, I hope you enjoyed my magic. I believe, detective, and I speak to the host directly, but in front of the audience. I believe you're after some sort of clue from me. How can I help you? And then the detective, who knows I haven't got a fucking clue what I'm on about, (laughs) will always help me out because I've worked with all of them that many times. They'll always help me out and they'll go, well... I was hoping that you might know how many steps it was from the old cabin to, you know, Rudolph's Lodge. That was last winter. Or I was hoping you might know the uh, four digit code that unlocks the safe in the uh, manager's office. Or I was hoping you might know what the murder weapon was or which brand of wine they were drinking. Or, you know, they'll give me that direct clue. And then I just make something up. It ties up my spot nicely. And the host then uses that information later. Anyway. So I asked this host, who clearly has never worked with me before, and I think is brand new to hosting these murder mysteries. I go, I believe you're looking after, you're looking some for some sort of clue. And they went, yes, I am. Can you help me? And I went, yes, if you can help me, what kind of clue can you help me with? And they went, well, hopefully a clue that pertains to this murder mystery. And I'm thinking, oh, shit, this host doesn't know that I don't read the script. (laughs) So I go, "Okay, fine. Um, The owl flies at midnight and the brand of wine was a lot more. Uh, dangerous than the guests thought it might be or I just made up some absolute shit and I could see the host thinking well we're dangerously off script now Um, and I went so I hope that helps and then I left the meeting (laughs) oh the poor fuckers literally just astonishing I have no idea what I was doing what I was saying but I feel sorry for that host who had absolutely no idea what was going on but that turned into a long day because I did that murder mystery and then I had to go straight to a gig in Wales so I did I drove to Wales and I did my show which was um Green Acres which is you know quite far away it's like three hours away um I left my tie there annoyingly my lovely tie with elephants on I left that at um What's it called? I left that at the uh, gig, which was a real shame. What a bummer. Never mind, eh? 
Um, but when I got home, something funny happened. Joshua, as you'll all remember, was camping out a lot last year. He was camping in the garden, wasn't he? He did loads of camping in the garden. Probably, I think, two weeks in a row he camped in the garden every single day. Um, oh, time difference. Sorry, I've just... Um, I just had to reply to a message that I got. So he was camping in the garden every day and uh, he did it for weeks. Then he suddenly went off it, but we've not put his tent down. So the tent's been blowing around the garden like crazy because it's not pegged in because I didn't want to ruin the grass. So every day or two, I just pop out into the garden. I move the tent to a different place in the garden and then the grass never gets ruined by the fact that there's a tent covering up the, the grass. Anyway... Sarah said to me, that tent's blowing all over the place, you know, you're going to have to weigh it down. So I didn't. And then the wind got really bad. So I'm driving home from a gig Wednesday night. <laughs> it's like half one in the morning. I'm coming down my street. Well, the street that runs sort of along on a right angle to my street. Our house is on the corner of two streets, which annoyingly have both got the same name, but one of them's Crescent and one of them's Avenue. So the amount of times, you know, Uber Eats, I get a message saying the food's been delivered and it hasn't. And then I have to go around the corner and go to, you know, the same number on the other street and the food's on their doorstep. Anyway, I'm glad they haven't got a ring doorbell because they wonder what the hell's going on. Or at least they didn't have. They might have now. It's not happened for a bit. But anyway, we've got a ring doorbell which is incredibly handy and I highly recommend them. So I'm driving down the street and I'm really tired. You know that kind of tiredness where you start imagining stuff as you're driving along. You think like you see things and you think it's something other than what it is, but you're, you're focused on the road, but you might see a lamppost and think it's a person or whatever. I don't know, you know, just your mind wanders a bit. But I'm in the last minute of the drive. I'm coming down the street and all I can see is what I think is a blockade in the road, you know, like a workman's blockade, but it's right at the bottom end. And I'm thinking, is my street blocked? Am I going to have to take an early turn? And as I get there, I realise I that's a tent. And I recognise that tent. That's our tent from the garden. It's Joshua's tent. It's blown over the top of our fence and somehow gotten around the corner and onto the street, which is at a right angle to ours. So I think, shite, what do I do now? Could ignore it and just leave it, let it blow around. Someone else will deal with it. And then I thought, well, obviously, I'm not going to do that, am I? Because it's just not who I am at all. So I stop the car. I get out. The tent is there. I try to, it's one of those pop-up tents that you should be able to fold down. But I mean, I can't work it out. It's been ages. I put that tent up 10 months ago. I haven't got a clue how to get it back in the bag. I don't even have the bag, even if I did. But I cannot work out to twist this tent down. So I basically crush it as best I can and fold it. Even if it gets broken, I think, well, this tent's goose now anyway. And he didn't like it as much as the old one. So if he camps out again, I'm going to get him a new tent that's more like the one that he liked the most and not this one and blah, 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 blah. So... I crush the tent down. I managed to force it into the back seat of the car. And then I drive the rest of the way home, which is, you know, 11 seconds. I park on the drive. I get the tent back out. I put it in our back garden and we've got like a locker, storage locker thing. So I get a huge tub of paint out and I put that into the tent. And that's where it still sits right now. But there's quite a bit of paint sloshed around the bottom of our garden. So I don't know if the lids come off and the wind's blown some of the paint around as well. But... Either way, it really needs sorting out and I'm going to have to be the one to sort it. I'll probably do that today. But um, yeah, the tent's fucked. The, you know, it's just not a bad situation. But it is weird driving home and seeing a tent in your street and thinking, I don't know why there's a tent in the street. Oh, wait, 
I do recognize that tent and it's mine. <laughs> so there you go. Um, I'm replying to another message. Just bear with me. I promised my friend I'd play Call of Duty with him at one o'clock. It's now 10 to one. So I'm just telling him that I'm not going to be ready at one o'clock. I'm going to be at least 20 more minutes. Um, anyway, I got in the house and I did play Call of Duty after getting the tent away. But all of a sudden, I think the week just really got on top of me. Because remember that week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I'd been up at 6 a.m. every morning, 5.45, one morning, in fact, to do those virtual shows. And I'd been doing shows in Wales on the nights. And then during the day, I'd been, you know, getting Joshua to and from school or um, tidying up, doing jobs, doing a murder mystery show, recording podcasts, like all sorts of other little stuff. So I just was really knackered. So Wednesday night, I'm sitting playing with my friends and something just came over me. I felt really sick and fatigued and just ill and like, I need to just go to bed right now. So I did, and I had a banging headache and everything. I felt awful. That was like Wednesday night. Now, I've not divided the week because we're only at Wednesday, and it's Wednesday now, so there's a whole week of days. Um, because basically nothing's happened. I've just done shows and done a few different little bits and bobs. Joshua stayed at my mum's because it was the holidays. So there's no stories from him because he was there, and he had a thoroughly nice time. Sarah and I had a lazy day on uh, Friday. I was supposed to be getting uh, Joshua back on was it friday no i was supposed to be getting joshua back on friday because i was off but i decided to leave him until saturday because i had a gig towards the northeast so on friday when we had an extra sudden night off sarah and i got dominoes and it was delicious Oh, God, I love Domino's. I haven't had it in forever. Uh, we got Domino's and we watched a film and stuff. And then Saturday, I went and got Joshua from my mum's and I did a gig a Halloween party at Reeton Sands during the day, which was super fun. I love a daytime gig. They're the best ones. Can't beat a daytime gig. And uh, Sunday, we went to Birmingham because Aston Villa were playing against West Ham. And it was a bit of a strange day because... Oh, and I ate a caterpillar cake at some point. That's in my notes. <laughs> Love a caterpillar cake. But um, we went to Birmingham and we got up reasonably early and we set off by like quarter to nine. But there was a bit of traffic, so we didn't get there until uh, half eleven. And then we got parked and everything. But I needed the toilet pretty badly. And I ended up in the toilet for 20 minutes just because I'd eaten a caterpillar cake and Domino's. <laughs> um, and then I, did, I didn't feel great from that. And then Joshua wasn't very well that day. And Sarah was tired because she'd been working all week. And I was going to some football and the weather was awful. And we just didn't have a great time. We had no direction. Last time we went to Birmingham, we had a brilliant time. We went to loads of different places. We didn't row any of us or have any stupid arguments or, you know, typical shit that families do when it's like, well, what do you want to do? Where do we blah, 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 blah. Just stupid things where nobody's actually annoyed with each other. You're all just fed up with yourselves. So we went to Yo Sushi and... The sushi was really average. It wasn't a great yo sushi. It's weird how the sort of gamut of what yo sushi places are good and which ones are bad. When they're good, they're brilliant. When they're bad, they're so shit. But they're always the same price. So we went to yo sushi and it was just okay. Then we walked around and around and around. It just felt like we were walking around in circles. And the football was supposed to be at three o'clock. But I think because of Sky TV broadcasting it, a week earlier it had gotten moved until 
So it was an extra bit of time that we weren't expecting to spend there as well. And the day just became a bit of a write-off. And then Sarah and Joshua went to go and see a film, but that got messed up because the film was at the wrong time and then they couldn't get a ticket. And so Sarah had to take Joshua bowling because by now I was at the football. And then she had to waste hours randomly trying to fill time, but they couldn't walk anywhere because it was literally hammering down bad rain. And hammering down, West Ham are obviously called the Hammers, and we got hammered by them. It was 1-0 to West Ham. And then we equalised, and it was one all. Then it was 2-1 to West Ham. And then in the second half, El Ghazi, who is a West Ham striker, uh, sorry, uh, Jesus Christ, El Ghazi, who is a Aston Villa striker, was through on goal in the West Ham half. That's what I meant to say. And the ref blew the whistle because of something that had happened back in the other half of the pitch. And El Ghazi's goal-scoring opportunity got denied, and we got a free kick. And the free kick was from our own half. We ballsed it up, and then West Ham scored again. So now it was 3-1. And then fans started going absolutely insane. And in the stands where I was, a couple of rows in front of me, two guys had a bit of a tussle. I thought a fight was going to kick off. A couple of punches got swung, but neither of them landed. I stood up to get involved to stop the fight. But then I realised that the terraces at a football match are like stone steps. And I was thinking, what if I get involved and someone gets knocked down the steps, bangs ahead, suddenly I'm manslaughter and all that. And a couple of other people were standing up and they were getting involved. And I just thought, this has got nothing to do with me. It's two rows away from me, but I'm staying out of it because we don't need this. So I sat back down. It soon came to an end. Both fans got kicked out. Very strange. And then West Ham looked like they were going to score again. There was less than 10 minutes left of the game. The atmosphere was horrible. And I was thinking, I don't want to be outside as this crowd kicks out. And the West Ham fans are out there. And the atmosphere has gone really bad because of bad refereeing, essentially. We were getting hammered anyway, but the ref didn't really help. When you're getting beat at a football game and then bad refereeing you know, obliterates your opportunity at maybe pulling something back, if you were going to get lucky but that look gets destroyed by a poor decision. The atmosphere goes very sour very quickly. So with probably eight or nine minutes left to go, I left the game. I thought I'm going, I'm gonna, Sarah's waiting. They're both stuck with nothing to do. This match is over. There's no chance we're gonna equalize now. And if anything, they're gonna score again. So I left, I walked around the outside of the ground to walk towards my car, which was a 15 minute walk away. I'd rented a space again, uh, but this time in a little business park. And I heard a huge cheer inside and then booing and I thought, never, no chance. So I opened Sky up on my phone and I watched the last bit of the game and West Ham scored again. We got beat 4-1. It was brutal. And I drove, I picked Sarah and Joshua up, we drove home and we were all fairly miserable. (laughs) It was an unsavably shit day and, you know, we just were all down. And I think the next morning we all woke up thinking... Need to turn this round a bit. It's just a bit stupid, isn't it? This sort of dourness, this, you know, lack of joie de vie for our lives. Um, No good. So there you go. But then Sarah had an even worse day on Tuesday. Uh, No, Monday, sorry. Monday, not Tuesday. Because it was raining all day again. So she decided to take a car to work and she parks at the bottom of the hill near where she works. Um because it's free and it's easy 
and she can't park around the back of her own work because there's workmen there and all that sort of stuff. So it's a good place to park. So she still gets to walk up the hill and back and all that, and it's nice and easy to park. Um, she got back to her car. I was driving to a gig, and she called me, and she said, I've just done something really stupid. And I shit myself because I thought she'd had a crash or bumped into somebody else's car, and she was asking me what she should do about it or, you know, all those things flashed through my head. Has she reversed into somebody? Has she scraped someone? She's working out what she's supposed to do. What is it? And it turned out that because it was pissing down and her coat was soaking wet, she didn't want to drive to get Joshua in her wet coat. So she took her coat off, put it in the boot, closed her boot, and then got in the car and realised that her car keys were still in her coat. So she went to open the boot and realised that the boot was locked. The trunk, for our American friends, is the boot. Uh, realised that the boot was locked and she couldn't get it open again. Because the keys were inside. Now you may think, why didn't she just pop the trunk using the release inside of the car? Well, that's because Sarah's car is a convertible. And in a convertible car, typically, the boot release is not inside of the car. Because you can leave your car uncovered, can't you? You can leave a convertible car open without the cover down, uh, without the cover up. And so anybody could come along, lean inside, pop your trunk, go in your boot and take all your stuff out. I'm using boot and trunk interchangeably now, aren't I? Um, they could just go in and, you know, take your stuff out. No problem. So they don't leave you that option. So if you lock your keys in the boot in a convertible, basically you're fucked. You do have options, but they're a real pain. Now, thankfully, there is a spare key for that car, but it was at home. And Sarah was wearing a work shirt, like her blouse, no coat, and it was raining. So she had to get the bus to get the key and then get home, got the key, get the bus back to the car and then drive and sort everything else out. And when she eventually got in with Joshua, she was absolutely soaking wet, you know, to the bone soaking wet, freezing cold and absolutely miserable. And I felt terrible for her. So she basically just went to bed. <laughs> <laughs> which is what I would have done as well. Just no good at all, is it? Such a bummer to be freezing cold and fed up and all that sort of stuff. Horrible. So that's what she did. Another shit night. Um, never mind, eh? Never mind, babe. I'll tell you one thing when I was at the football. I took a couple of pictures of myself um, to post on Instagram, you know, just with my Aston Villa hat on and a mug of Bovril and feeling cut because it was freezing cold at the football as well. You never feel more self-conscious than when you're aware other people are watching you have your photograph taken. You know, when you know, when you're, when you're having your photograph taken and you know other people can see that. It's horrible, isn't it? Because you don't want to smile or do anything to make it a good photograph. So you just stand there. And it's even worse when you're taking selfies. But when you're taking a selfie and you're surrounded by men because you're at football, you know, I mean, of course, women go to football, but hardly as many. There were 42,000 people at that football game. And I'd hesitate that, you know, 20% of them were women. It's predominantly, when you look in the stands, it's predominantly men who are in the crowd. There are a lot more women going to football now. And a lot more families going. And even there are more kids, you know, even then it was grown men. I'd say the percentage of kids is a lot smaller, but it's predominantly grown men. So when you're taking a selfie, you feel very looked at. Although, when I look at other football fans taking selfies at the football ground, 
I don't think anything. I think, go on, mate. You tell your mates that you're at a football game. You tell your Facebook friends or your Instagram followers or whatever that you're at a football match. How lovely. Go on, mate. You get a really good photograph. I wonder if he wants me to ask him, should I take, do you want me to take a great photograph for you in front of this ground so that you're not taking a selfie and you get a nice picture with the ground in the back? What if you've come from abroad and this is the only time you've ever been to see your team? What if this is the first time you've ever been to the mighty Villa Park and you want to let people know? I think how lovely for you. Brilliant. But when I'm taking a photograph of myself, all I can think is there are 41,999 people all looking at me thinking, look at that fucking wanker taking his photograph. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird, isn't it? When I see someone do it, I'm thinking, go on, mate, good for you. But when I'm doing it, I'm thinking, everyone thinks I'm a tosser. It's a strange thing, that, isn't it? Very strange. So self-conscious when you're taking your own photograph in certain environments. Maybe if you're at tourist destinations or whatever, it's not as bad. But when you're at a football match, you do just feel very, very looked at. It's odd. Very odd. Anyway, I've shaved all the hair off my body today, so there's a job done. There's something you needed to know, isn't it? I'm absolutely hairless. Not an inch of hair on my entire body. Bald as anything. I mean, there's the hair on my head, of course, but the rest of it, it's all gone. My chest, my arms, everywhere else that you're probably thinking of right now, it's all gone. <laughs> Anyway, I'm going to finish with a story that uh, occurred to me this week. I don't think I've told it on here before. Joshua asked me if I would ever perform or talk at his school. And I said, I don't know, probably not. But it did remind me last time I was booked, last time I was hired to speak to some students. Um, I was doing Panto in Mansfield which was a lovely experience. I was playing wishy-washy in Aladdin, which is not a review of my performance. It's the name of the character. I can't be bothered to explain all that, so look it up if you don't know what I mean, if you're not from England. I mean, if you're English, or in fact, if you're British at all, and you've lived in Britain for any term of time, you will know everything there is to know about pantomime, and you'll be more than versed about the fact that it appears in every theatre in the world, well, every theatre in the UK across Christmas. But I was playing wishy-washy, which is the lead comic part in the pantomime of Aladdin. Anyway, um, so there was a local drama school which was attached to the theatre in lots of ways and they asked me as the headline comic of that show if they could book me to give a talk to their drama students and what would I talk about. So I had to think about it for a few days because I was resident in this show for seven weeks so there's no rush you know they could take time to organize it. So I said give me a few weeks and I'll really work something out and I did I put the effort in because I I appreciated the chance to be asked and to be to give something back and to speak to students and all that. And I really enjoyed it and reveled in it in some ways. And the talk that I put together was about in the UK, every um, what's it called? Have I, I've, did I tell this story last week? <laughs> because I, I'm really worried that I did. I'm going to have to look now. I'm going to I'm going to pause and just double check that I didn't tell this story last week. Hold on. Okay, I'm back. I just rang my friend Jester, uh, who reminded me that he told me, no, I didn't tell this story last week, but I did talk about the Snoopy mug, which I talked about the week before as well. So just in case you don't know, I've bought a really nice Snoopy mug. 
<laughs> and it's metal and it doesn't have a handle. And the way that I hold it is that the coffee doesn't come all the way to the top. So I can hold the top rim without the coffee behind the metal touching my fingers and it doesn't get too hot. <laughs> anyway, so Mansfield, I didn't tell you this last week. I now know. You all knew that already, but I didn't know. So the thing that I decided to talk about was that in the UK, uh, actors of any description usually are members of this website called Spotlight. And Spotlight is a page where you can put up your profile and it has your photographs, your headshots. It might have your reel if you're a dancer or an actor or something like that. It will have what languages you can speak, what accents you can do, your height, your weight, your breast size, you know, all of those things. Um, it they list everything about themselves and then casting directors can come and use that website as a way to search for very specific traits. So say they're looking for a five foot 10, 36 double D French speaking, um, blonde haired English woman. They will find that on spotlight. You know, you can search by these skills or attributes and on that website, there's also a little section that asks for your special skills. And in the special skills section, people usually put driving or, you know, uh, puppetry or whatever. They don't usually put things that are that exciting. Puppetry would be an exciting one, but usually it's like, I can drive. But I was looking through loads of different people's spotlight entries for no reason, just to see what the website was about, because I was going to register on it. And then I thought, I don't need to. I'm not an actor. Um, it's not going to be of any use to me at all, unless I was trying to book commercials or, you know, be an extra or whatever. Supporting actor. Well, I'm not sure what you call that anymore. But anyway, I didn't do it in the end. But I noticed that the special skills was quite empty. And I was thinking, well, if I had to fill that in, my special skills thing would be really full, you know, because I would put fire eating, juggling, various different, you know, magic skills, yada, 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 guitar playing, whatever. Um, so I thought, I bet the people who have a lot of good special skills book a lot of jobs. Turns out that they do, of course, especially in adverts where they need someone to just be a juggler in the background or whatever, or a unicycler or, you know, all of those things. So I did a talk to these students on working towards making your spotlight page more interesting. So don't just, you know, learn acting, learn acting, but also be able to juggle, learn how to fire eat, ride a unicycle, learn the guitar, learn the piano, learn judo, get sword fighting skills. You know, all of these things will inevitably and eventually help you book more jobs as an actor. Um, and I'm using actor in the gender free way that we use it now. I'm not I'm purposefully not saying actors and actresses or anything like that. Everyone just goes under the umbrella of actor now. And whilst I'm using that, I'm aware that it might not seem that that's what I'm doing. So I just want to point out that that's what I'm doing. So actors can be of any gender. Um, so as well as learning to be an actor learn all of these other special skills as well. I'm sure you'll learn loads of extra jobs. And then I gave some demonstrations and I finished with my cigar box juggling, which we'd used actually in the pantomime because we'd painted all of the cigar boxes to look like laundry detergent brands. And then in the laundry scene in the show, um, Widow Twanky, who is uh, Wishy-Washy's mother, says, oh, we're going to have to wash the emperor's clothes. We'll need a lot of washing powder. You better use a very delicate balance. And then I go, oh, delicate balance. Then I balanced all the washing powders. It's a great little moment in the show. 
Anyway, but it was basically cigar box juggling. I explained all of this. The chat was great. The students loved it. They gave me a little standing ovation at the end of the talk. I felt like I'd really given them a new direction to do and to follow, as well as, you know, learning acting. I thought, God, I am not just a performer. I am an educator. <laughs> lofty ideas. Now, I'm really building this up so you understand the fall from grace that's about to happen. And anyone who's familiar with storytelling will have already known that that must be coming. So I really felt like I was someone. I thought, I've I've really delivered here. These people have asked me to give a talk and I have, I have altered the lives of these students. I'm Michelle Pfeiffer in Dangerous Liaisons. You know, I've come into this, this learning environment and I have bossed the teaching element. I picked up all my cigar boxes and I started to leave. I realized I couldn't open the door. So I turned my back to the door and I tried to open the door handle using my arse cheek, to which all the students laughed. But they were already looking at me in quite a bemused fashion anyway. But I thought that's just because, you know, this lofty genius is now opening a door with his arse cheek. So I thought, well, it's best to comment on that. So I said, come on. We've all tried to open a door with a bum cheek at some point in our lives. And if you haven't yet, I'm sure you will, because friends, that's showbiz. And as I say, that's show business. The handle goes down. My butt lets it go. I use my back to push the door open. I go backwards through the door, turn to face the new direction, hear the door close behind me and realize I'm in the cupboard. <laughs> And now the bemused faces make total sense because I have just walked into what I'm sure they knew was a cupboard. So now I've got a couple of options, haven't I? Do I immediately sheepishly come back out and everybody laughs? Do I stay in there until they've all left and leave them wondering whether or not there's a secret door in there that they didn't know about that I've exited through? What do I do? And by the time I've really thought about what I should or shouldn't do, it's already been at least a minute that I've been in there. <laughs> so now it's too late to really convincingly pull off anything. So I open the door again, but this time I have to readjust the cigar boxes. So there's a little commotion because, you know, now the door needs pulling open and you can't pull a door open with your ass cheek. I don't care who you are. <laughs> so I open the door with my hand and I edge back around the corner and the room is still silent. And for the entire minute, they've all just been staring at the door. So I come back out and say, well, turns out that was a cupboard, wasn't it? They all laughed and I went, bye everyone. And then I left. <laughs> Very embarrassing. Never mind, eh? That's just another day in my life, kids. That's what goes on. My life is a series of embarrassing incidents strung together only by me telling you about them. That is how I live. You know what? I wouldn't change it for the world. So, friends, go out there. Don't be depressed if you can help it. And I realise that if you are clinically depressed, you can't. But just be aware of what it is and be aware of when it's presenting itself. It's not always active depression. Sometimes it's an inactivity of joy. So do everything you can to beat those signs. You know, make something, watch something that you love. Don't ignore the phone call. Answer the friend who's trying to ring you. Put some great music on and sing along. You know, become proactive in your own life. Don't be a passenger in your own life. Know what makes you happy and then go and physically do it. Find that joy.
And with that in mind, I'm going to go and find some enjoyment myself. I'm going to have a sandwich and I'm going to uh, play Call of Duty with my pal. And I didn't go and get a drink in the end and pause, did I? But there you go. That's this week's podcast. And um, I'll see you next week. I've I've not told you loads of funny stories that I've thought of this week, but I just ran out of time. So I'm backing them up again. Starting to build up a little cachet of fun stuff. God, it's November, isn't it? Not long now. Soon be Christmas. Right. Bye, friends. <laughs>